We would turn now in the sacred scriptures to Acts chapter 26. I'm going to read the entire chapter. We get the context here of Paul. He's incarcerated or held in bondage by the authorities. And this for the gospel's sake, we know. And he has appealed to Caesar, or he will in this chapter. And so that there's no other things for the officials to do, they say, but to send him to Caesar. Meanwhile, he's, he's preaching even to the authorities. We want to consider this chapter because Paul reveals here his own conversion and that he seeks the conversion of the nations as he was charged and also the conversion of the souls of those he preaches to now in this setting in the courts of the land. Hear the word of God. Then Agrippa said to Paul, King Agrippa, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister 
and a witness both of the things which you've seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance from those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turning to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thus far we read from this account of the Apostle Paul before kings and before Festus and before us, the revelation of God, this account is. And one has said that some of the verses that are quoted here of Jesus when he spoke to Paul form the sum and substance of the truth of conversion, and I want to focus on those in this morning's sermon on conversion, verses 18, uh, 18 and 20. Uh, Jesus is said there to have said to Paul that he'd gone to the Gentiles and the Jews to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then verse 20, Paul rehearsing what he did, he declared first to those in Damascus and to Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent toward God and do works befitting repentance. Now, these words I commend to your attention as indeed speaking of the mission of Paul and of this wonderful thing called conversion. And that is the doctrine that we would consider in our uh, going through the 
whole counsel of God with the help of the Heidelberg Catechism at Lord's Day 33. Lord's Day 33, printed in your insert in the bulletin, conversion is considered of how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist of two parts, the mortification of the old, the quickening of the new man. And then, what is the mortification of the old man? It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we provoke God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. What is the quickening of the new man? It's a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those who proceed from faith and are performed according to the law of God and to his glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. Beloved, this is a a critical juncture in our consideration of Christian doctrine. Consideration before us in this Lord's Day and in the last Lord's Day 32 is preliminary to the exposition by the Catechism of the Ten Commandments and prayer as the rule, the activity of the life of the child of God, the life of the thankful child of God. Prior to that, the law and prayer are considerations that have to be considered by a thoughtful church Because, beloved, we're so concerned that we do live this thankful life. This is the prophet of all the doctrines of the Bible. If you look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by inspiration of God ends that the man of God be perfect and fully furnished unto every good work. We have a God who is in his son crucified for our sins and risen to the right hand of God, that we might live a holy, happy, thankful life. And so, Lord's Day 33, we we dealt with this important consideration, and that is this, the place of good works in the Christian life, because prior to this, we've been saying it's all of Jesus It's all of his work, of his death, his resurrection, his uh, working by the Holy Spirit. And and now the question comes, why do good works? And the necessity has been brought upon us and to us in light of the word of God, exactly because of Christ's work for us and in us. The, The wonderful work of the Savior has to do with our being this people that does good for his sake. His work is that which we are doing in in our lives and so on. It's amazing. And then, of course, we we love to do these works of God. And, And then the Catechism has reminded us that if we do not do these things, if you are not living a godly life, you have reason to be concerned for your soul. It's that important because without this life, there's no fruit that Christ is your life. Beware. Now, to other very important subjects, and the last is good works. What are good works? What is this life? What does it look like if we're a Christian, if we're doing good in this world? What does that look like? 
That we'll consider in another sermon. It's so important. But the first is conversion. The idea, the wonderful truth, that there is a work within promoting an attitude of loving good and hating evil in us that is so important for all of our doing work. Like, for example, this, worship. Are we here worshiping and inwardly delighting in the things that we hear of God's own word? Are we in here, as we even sang, praying that God would have his own way and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us? Or are we just passing the time? Are we converted? Are we being converted? This is the subject of the sermon, perhaps another or two as well. But I find it a very important uh, revelation of God, the conversion of Paul. And that's the perspective I'd take in this and uh, a couple other sermons, I believe. The conversion of Paul, Acts chapter 9, he refers to it here. Arguably, but almost not arguably, one could say that Paul is the example of a converted man in the entire New Testament. There he was, wickedly going about persecuting the church, and he says, I was the chief of sinners. And now here he is testifying before Festus and King Agrippa, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the resurrection of Jesus, I am what I am. And he's been called to be an ambassador of this conversion, an instrument of the Lord himself to convert the nations. There's something here to learn from this example. Are you Pauline? Are you those who are just like Paul, not in similar experiences, and certainly not that God has visited you on the Damascus road and so on and came with a bright light. Maybe, maybe you don't have anything to say about that experience, that one-time thing. But if we be like Paul in heart, a converted man, woman, child, seeking the conversion, the further conversion of ourselves and of the nations, then Paul is our man because Christ is Paul's man and God and ours. So converted to convert. First of all, that conversion that's revealed in the Bible, we use the help of the catechism here, bringing together all these passages and truths. And then the call to convert, that may seem odd to us, but listen, wait. And then finally, the grace that we need. I find an outstanding truth of the Bible that humbles me very much is conversion. We sigh how much we're affected by the world, how quickly we turn to the media, how little we're affected by the gospel, how slowly we turn to Christ. That's your servant speaking. Humbly, I bid you hear the word of God anyway through such 
a sinful man. Conversion, the word not often spoken of in the Bible, and yet there, many terms and different expressions speak of this conversion. Jesus says it's so important, Matthew 18, 3, except you be converted and come as a little child, become a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom. And there's the example then of little children, but that, that being converted to become as a little child, absolutely necessary, or you don't enter the kingdom. You're a doomed person. Some words speak of a conversion that is simply this movement of God from this world so that because of the redemption of Jesus Christ, you're zealous for good works. Titus speaks of that. And in other ways, it speaks of the conversion of sinners. Psalm 51, we read a verse, sang a versification of that. There the psalmist, God be merciful to me and and on my, thy grace I rest my plea, these kinds of things he sings and we sing, and says he does that against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, and turn thou me, and all of these things, and the prophet says, turn thou me, and we shall be turned, and, and there's this turning then, this turning, that's at a heart, the heart of converting, converting. You men or maybe women who are good with cars, you know I can convert an ordinary car into something that's souped up. It looks good but runs well and blows the doors off anything else. We're all used to things turning and turning from this to turning to that. And, and this, of course, this conversion is the best thing in the world. It's God turning us from sin unto him. As Paul says, his, his great commission, Paul's particular commission, that was that he was sent to open the eyes of Gentiles and Jews to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And in this way, they receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And when Agrippa uh, speaks... With some dismay, who knows what's going on in the fellow's heart? You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Paul willed the conversion of King Agrippa before whom he stood, exactly because he always stood before God the King and he was accountable to God, and he will preach. He will preach here in a heathen court. He will preach in the churches. He will preach in the synagogues. He will write letters. He will do this and that and the other thing and be all things to all men that he might win them, read, convert them to God. Is that what we're about? This conversion thing, this mysterious thing, this activity of God, but also this activity of man. And that needs to be understood right away. 
We've been speaking of the fact that God alone saves sinners by grace alone, through faith alone. Well, the Reformed faith doesn't seek to undermine the responsibility of people. God is sovereign. He's the king. And we have something to do following upon God's sovereign work for us and in us. You want to know a truth that captures that combination of things, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility? Read Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. I'll read that for you. And you should have this down in your heart, not just to combat Arminians, but to be able to understand something of the importance of both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And do this with fear and trembling. And here's the reason why. Work out your own salvation. Don't be concerned, first of all, with the other's salvation. Your own. Work out that. With fear and trembling, here's why. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Now, isn't that mind-boggling? You do the workout. You go to the gym. You go every day to the gym and the sanctuary to do the workout and sweat the sweat and the blood that's necessary with regard to your salvation and do this because God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure and not so that he does He wills and does his good pleasure, but so that you do. That's the idea of the text. God's working in you both so that you will and you do of his good pleasure. So God working in you, that's what? Sovereignty. You're working out your salvation, that's what? Responsibility. This is the must. This is an important aspect of the must of Good works, as we saw last time. So, having done that, or that is, said that, we have our catechism describing for us what this, this conversion is. And there's two parts, it says, and in the translation that I use here in this, in this insert in the bulletin, it says this, that there's two parts. The mortification of the old, that's the negative part of of conversion, and the positive is the quickening of the new man. So it would be, as the Psalter hymnal says something like this, it would be the the dying off of the old and the quickening or the, the making alive of the new self. Not sure why it says self there, because man is more appropriate and biblical. The terminology has to do with man. So you got some terms here. Let's, let's be instructed from the word of God and be informed, therefore, in this truth of conversion. Many people get emer- emotional about this. Speaking of tent revivals and so on, and, 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 the, and the, the, the bench that you have to be, on, be at so that you can feel and move the revival of the spirit and be converted that way, but 
We need to have our minds involved here. Paul, after all, says Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and be not conformed to this world, but so transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, minds on, not shut off. What does the word of God say about this thing? First of all, I have to understand that the Christian is regenerated. In distinction from conversion, uh, though hardly sometimes in the Bible, regeneration is mentioned as the first work of God in our hearts. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and this by the Spirit of Jesus, John 3 and the context there. Regeneration, being born from above, being born again, is that work of God by his spirit in the heart of God's elect, giving them life. Now, conversion follows upon that, sometimes accompanies that, even spectacularly in a conversion sort of regeneration experience, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears, and there's life, and there's this expression of life, and that's what conversion is. You're regenerated, you're given life, and it's like the planting of a seed, an incorruptible seed, Peter says. And that seed grows. And as there, the preaching of the word of God serves as water and nutrients and the soil of the soul, so there's this growth of the new life principle, this growth of the seed, this taking over of the seed where there was death, And now there's life in this plant called the Christian. You know that? You're plants. And you're planted by the grace of God, the seed of the word and of the Holy Spirit. There's new life. And conversion has to do then with this coming to consciousness of the life. And sometimes we we see our children in the covenant community coming to consciousness of their own sin, for example. And then of what Jesus means to them. It's a beautiful thing to see that and to hear that from you children. How you deal with one another. How you say, oh, I I love to go to church. And I I love the catechism. And I love it when you teach me, mommy and, and daddy, the things of the Bible. This is the work of conversion in their lives. And it's constant, isn't it? It's a constant growing as Uh, Paul says, and this was the theme of our house visitation in Ephesians 4, we we grow and we grow through the ministry of the word of God. We grow and through communion with one another unto the maturity of Christ himself and the body of Christ itself, I should say. So this is constantness of conversion. Regenerations once and one time and And oftentimes, again, in the covenant community, we're not aware of that, even as we're not aware of when we were conceived. So the conception of the Holy Spirit's work only becomes aware and known to us when we are converted and we hear some things from God from the outside, touching our hearts and from the Spirit working us in us to to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. So 
There's this conversion. The catechism says it's a mortification of the old, quickening of the new, making alive of the new. And the mortification of the old is a sincere sorrow of heart that we provoke God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee them. The quickening of the new is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Negative, hate sin, and the catechism describes this as sorrowing for sin and that we provoke God by our sins. It's not just that we got caught. We've provoked God by our sins. It's something hateful to him. And then we more and more hate and flee from them. And then with regard to the putting on of the new, we love the truth. We embrace the truth of, of Christ. And we, have, we are happy and we love to delight to live according to all of the commandments of God and to do every good work. Now, beloved, this is a, a complex uh, process here, but I just want to point out to you some of the basics that are mentioned here so that we can be practical and see how this is to uh, work out in our lives. First thing about this old and new man, we're regenerated, as I've said, and you know, we're born again by the Spirit. So this conversion has to do with something that the new man does with regard to the old man. The Bible says that in Christ, behold, all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All things, all things are new. You have a life. You don't have to get a life. You have a life. It's a wonderful thing. You have the right to life because Jesus died for you. This experience and this wonderful truth of life is in you because of the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. But there's also what's called an old man. And this is sometimes a reality that I fear many evangelicals miss. We can miss both, that all things are become new to us, but we can also miss the truth of the old man. Maybe it's because we don't want even to think about it. We don't want to think about that. We've had this past and we're just ashamed of it, and so we don't want to think about the old man, but it's there, isn't it? Causing David to sin with Bathsheba, Uriah, and count the people against uh, the, the wisdom of God and in great pride and to the detriment of the kingdom of heaven causing Peter to deny Jesus Christ and causing you, this old man does, to sin. But sin so that you, you, you can't stand it. That's the difference, you see, between a totally depraved, unenlightened, dead sinner, born dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, and a Christian who's made alive by the Spirit but still has this, this principle of death within called a nature... So that Ephesians 2 can say, by nature, we were children of wrath, even as other men, called the flesh, Romans 7, so that the new, you and I, struggle with this old man, the flesh, the nature. Paul would say this, here's the, the Pauline struggle, the regenerated man's struggle with this conversion. This sin that remains. 
The good that I would, I do not. I want to do the good. The evil that I would not, that I do. There's this, this conflict within so that he says and cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body, the body of this death? So Paul, all the while, not being a Gnostic, denying the goodness of bodies, nevertheless says that there's sin that reigns in the body, appears in bodily form and thoughts. And that's a principle then of evil that remains. It's called an old man. And I believe that's reference to Adam. The Adamic nature, or as old as when we were born. We've had that since we were born. It's been all with us throughout, and it's a man. It's not just an old part of me. An old man. Think of that. Your old mind. You wrestle with the old mind. Even though you're this new man and you have the mind of Christ, there's this old mind. And we know of that old mind, Paul would say in Romans 8, the carnal mind, the old mind, is enmity with God. Cannot keep the commandments of God. The old will, that's there too. The old lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's there too, the pride of life. Which is in the world, which has shown itself once again this past week in our society, this world. That's the world we're in. Understand that? Now, there's a hypersensitivity that one could have to his sin. Meaning, we think that's all there is. More on that presently. But there's a necessary sensitive, a sensitivity to sin that we must have. And this is what this conversion is leading at. We must be sincerely sorrowful of heart that we provoke God by our sins. And that more presently, but this old man, that's there. We're to put off this old man, that is to strangle him, mortify him, crucify him, as the Bible says in another place. Cast him aside, don't let him dominate. So you think the thought? Don't think it. Stifle the thought. You're about to say something, and oftentimes you say, yeah, I shouldn't say this, but you say it anyway. But beloved, if you say you shouldn't say it, don't say it. But that's called being converted, wiser than you were. There's this impulse to be angry, and it's usually an impulse. Sometimes it's a slow burn that we have, isn't it? Don't do it. Put out the fire of your sinful wrath. Be patient. Count to ten, the world would say. We say, count Christ. And that should make all the difference. And so there's this putting away of something, putting away of an old man. And then there's this putting on of the new man or making alive the new man. The sincere joy of heart through God and Christ and love and delight to live according to the will of God and in all good works. The goal of the catechism. 
Already in question and answer one of Lord's Day one of this catechism that you have, which would teach us doctrine. It's full of doctrine. It's said that the only comfort in life and in death is belonging to Jesus Christ and that he makes us sincerely willing and ready to live unto him all our life. Here it is. Conversion is for that. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ is crucified and dead and buried and risen and now reigns from heaven over you. He would rule over your soul and over your mind and over your heart and over your desires and over the company that you keep and over your games and over your work and over all things. Ephesians 4, 24 sums up how the catechism is expressing this truth, putting off of the old, mortification of the old, putting on the new. These words. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4, 23, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And it goes on to say that you put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and, and so on. Colossians as well emphasizes this truth in chapter 3, which says we are to put off all these things, malice, anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and, since you, and, and, and do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. It's like this clothing thing that's being used as a metaphor here. Put off his ugly, dirty, and moth-eaten clothes, the old man. Put on the new man, shining bright and white and holy, the righteousness of Christ. Put it on. And the putting it of it on is from the heart so that it's true. What you're wearing, what you're saying reflects the inner converted soul. And now I'll speak of that. This is the truth of conversion, and we've spoken rather theoretically of this all. This is what it is. Maybe the catechism even leads us to this. Of what doth true conversion consist of two parts? Here it is. Here's what it is. And here's what it is negatively, and here's what it is positively, beloved. But the implication is this is what it ought to be. And I suggest to you that we're almost not even close. By the grace of God, it's only that we are what we are and converted and being converted. For there is this working out of our salvation with fear and trembling that I confess I haven't been doing or I don't do, never have done so adequately. I used to think I did. And now I don't like the workouts so much. They get harder and harder. And things of God and grace can become duller and duller. I preach these things all the time. 
I preach to myself all the time, and I try to live it out, and, and I'm, I'm sure you have the same struggles. Christianity is, is something you know. The truth is something you know, but the question the catechism is, is presenting to us here is this truth of conversion within, and good preachers of Christian doctrine must apply this to the heart and Comfort ye, comfort ye the people of God, and speak of her warfare being accomplished, but also of the fact that there needs to be this understanding of this accomplishment of God himself, but also of that warfare that remains for you to fight, of the battle, to prove the insincerity of your heart. So let's think about this. We know the truth. And the catechism students could recite of it. What's conversion? It's this, the putting off of the old man, the the putting on of the new, the the killing off of the old man and the enlivening of the new. But what do those verbs and adverbs and descriptors really mean to us? Now take them to heart. True conversion is true. True conversion is true. A sincere sorrow of heart that we provoke God by our sins. It's a sincere hatred and a permanent and constant and recommitted to resolution to flee from sin. Is that how negative you are? I'll put it this way. And I'm speaking to myself. Is that how... Is that me? What grieved you most this past week? What grieved you most? What did you find yourself avoiding most? I'm speaking negatively here. Where was your heart at? What were your hates like? What did you hate the most? What did you flee from the most and with the most ardent effort? How did your workout look? Were you working out every day, the great workout of conversion? Because that's what this conversion is. It's not just an is, it's it's something that does in the lives of God's people. Think about it. What did you hate most? What did you flee from most? What did you avoid most? What was the fact that sin provoked God what really got to you or that mom and dad caught you or that your wife caught you or your husband caught you or something? Do we sorrow for sin because it's, well, like Paul, the case that when we were, he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus, Do we understand that when we persecute or when we deny as Peter or when we avoid or when we don't go to the cross to work out our problems, we just try to smooth it under the rug, that is against God in Jesus revealed? Do we understand that? And that really it's the case that the heart, the most ugliest sin of the world is not that we abort babies, 
but it's that we would kill the Son of God and deny him the right to rule over us. See, a converted man will be converted to Christ as Savior and Lord. Or he's not really converted. Or he's almost persuaded. That's how we can act like. And this is the whole King Agrippa statement. Become famous among those who write articles and so on. Paul speaks to King Agrippa. And Agrippa, having heard what Paul says in fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, he says to him, you almost persuade me to be, become a Christian. King James, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Imagine that. Paul speaking that way. Paul speaking that way. And then King Agrippa speaking that way. Paul is just speaking just spoken of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and from the place of death that he took, which was in our place, the place of sinners. He's spoken to him of the cross of Calvary on which Jesus Christ atoned for the sins of his own and made salvation not only possible but actual. And now he is suffering for this. He has been turned himself a converted man so that he can convert every single person in front of him if that would be God's will. And here's King Agrippa's response. Paul, you're pretty persuasive. You're almost persuading me. Or in a little time, you could translate, you're, you're persuading me. You're, you're thinking to persuade me. Almost. Festus has said, Paul, you're mad. Agrippa says, I'm a thinking man. I'm weighing things here. But beloved, we weigh things, of course, because we are people who are mindful of things holy but we believe them, first of all. We believe in order to understand. By faith, we understand conviction. Uh, we understand the truth of our, our need to be regenerated and then converted, or we be dead men and women. And that would mean being consistently, thoroughly wrapped up in this thing called Christianity, not standing on the fence. Well, maybe I should serve Christ, maybe not. I don't know what it's gotten Paul into. I'm not going to go that way. Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. What kind of language is that? Today, are you being persuaded to be a Christian? Maybe not, because you are a Christian already. But then the question is, are you being persuaded completely to be more of a Christian? 
more of a believer, more consistent in your Christianity? Am I being persuaded truly to hate what God hates, to grieve over sin, mine and the world's, and to love and rejoice in the heart, in God my Savior, and to do with love and delight everything that he's commanded me. Here I am, Lord, speak, your servant hears. That's the confession of a converted man and woman, child, young person, couples, singles, the work in at play, unconverted to Christ by the grace of God. And now there's this turning in which I'm engaged to will and to do of the good pleasure of God, God working in me, to receive the responsibility with great gladness. For it shows that God, he thinks we're significant. We're his after all. And we live because of him. So live now the converted life. And God bless you all. Be encouraged, though. Be be encouraged. The grace of God is there to help you in the workout. Amen. We ask, Lord, your help that we can truly know you and know that you are a God. We confess, Lord, that this conversion is something that We hardly know is occurring. And we're so sinful, we hardly want it to occur because we want to stay put. And the more we grow, such is our experience, the more it hurts, the more we realize that we're nothing except you love us and you keep us. And the more we realize that joy is of this earth are only transitory and they're nothing that can satisfy. But Lord, help us to go where you would lead and to keep from where you would tell us no. And in everything, may the cross of Calvary be at the center of our life. We're converted for Christ's sake. That makes us happy. Amen.